four weeks. It's been four weeks since us, Josh Pelohan, Seth Wanamaker, and the Cats, Cats boys, have been talking to you guys. We talked to you guys NBA draft night with live reactions, and somehow it was four weeks ago. It's seen time's flying. I mean, I can't believe it's almost August. We're in the dog days of summer. There is literally not a single sports game on tonight from the Big Four, which is the only day, the only day of the year with not a single sports game on, which is weird as it is. But yeah, dog days of summer. Cavs cast, we're back. Waiting for next year podcast brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Seth, how are you doing? You are a married man now. I know I saw you just before your wedding day, which is that that's in the story in itself. But how are you? How are things? How how's the last four weeks been treating you? Yeah, incredible. Coming coming fresh off the honeymoon. I had a job change in there. So I'm trying to to sandwich in as many possible life changes as, <laughs> as can be the past few weeks. No, no stress at all. But it was fantastic seeing you literally on the party bus, like on my wedding day at one of, at least I know my favorite watering hole. I'm assuming one of yours as well. We'll, we'll check in with them if they want to sell some ads on here, but a fantastic bar in Tremont. Uh, it was fantastic seeing you that morning and I'm excited. Uh, like you said, dog days. So, uh, but we got stuff to talk about per usual. Like I'm excited to get into this and there's a lot that happened. We got to catch up on the past few weeks and then there's some stuff coming up. We got to, we got to hit on. So I'm very happy, ready to go with you and, and ready to talk some cats. Before you go any further, you said it in the morning. I promise you, Seth and I were not at the Tremont Bar in the morning. It was the afternoon, just before Guardians game. But backstory: I was just walking to the bar. My brother was in Tremont, so we go out in Tremont and then go to the Guardians games all the time. And I was like, "All right, there's a wedding party. A wedding party just got out of that party bus. There's no, absolutely no chance that is Seth." So I walk into the bar. Boom, Seth Wanamaker. I was like, "Holy cow!" But yeah, that was it. Was just it was crazy. I was. Um, I, I didn't even have words. I was like, holy cow, what are the chances of this? Same exact time we got to the bar. First things first, I guess we'll start off with the hottest topic of the week for the Cavs, the New Jerseys. The original, nothing really, I wouldn't say unique, but nothing really special about them because they don't have any trim or anything. I like them. I know a lot of people don't like them. I know a lot of people do like them. What were your first thoughts when you saw them? at 10 a.m. was it yesterday the day before whatever day it was tuesday yeah it's wednesday so it's tuesday no it's monday okay i'm way off but what were your what was your first reaction and rank them from one to three white wine and black love it i think the Cavs did a good job giving us some sneak peeks they gave us some player reactions over the weekend and then they kind of gave us that that blackish photo um overlooking like the las vegas fountain um I think for me, it's like an eight out of 10. I really enjoy them. I already knew what I was going to like, but the whites are just unbelievably clean. Like I'm not a huge Jersey guy. I'm not usually one to like buy a bunch of jerseys, but the whites are so good. I like the whites so much that I might have to take a flyer on something. Maybe as Adrenas Ogalskis, like retro white Jersey or something like that. Um, the, the whites are clean and it's like the, it's the V it's that, that blue and orange, you, you know, the, you know, kind of the ties to that old logo in the eighties and nineties, that V just looks so pure. And I, I just love the simplicity of the white. It's just such a fresh, clean look. I'm hoping that's what they're rocking most home games. Absolutely love the white. So my rank would be white by white by a healthy margin. Number one, the second, I do like the black as well. I'm excited to see the black in person. 
I think that one has the most going on. So I'm kind of eager to see what that one looks like on the players in person. And then lastly, the wine to be candid, the wine doesn't do a ton for me. Um, it looks a, a little bit basic. However, I will say I really like the shorts on all three jerseys. I, I think I've, I've seen some people refer to these jerseys as, you know, kind of boring or whatever. I, I think they kind of pop like the, the fact that there's some like big logos on the shorts. I think there's a lot going on personally. I, I think it looks pretty great. And yeah, just, you know, a little round of applause. I think the Cavs did a great job. I'm excited to just get some merch now. Like I've, I've haven't jived with a couple of the past uh, Cavalier logos, the sword, not so much. And this one really feels good. So man, I, I love it uh, right back at you. What, what would you think? And what, what's your ranking, Josh? I completely agree with you. The hoop V it's just something about I know it's different from like the throwback hoop V, but there's just something about that hoop V that like it would be hard. I know a lot of people disagree with a lot of like there's if you have a jersey, it could be the coolest jersey in the history of sports. There'll be at least a percentage of people that don't like it. It just is what it is. So but I don't it would be hard to find someone that doesn't like that hoop V. I just wish I like you said, I that white jersey, I love it. It's clean. I I'm not a Jersey guy either. And I really wish I could buy a white Jersey, but my luck is I'd probably like go to a game wearing that white Jersey and have nachos and spill nacho cheese right down it. So then it, instead of it being like a red calves, it would be like a red mixed with a yellow or my bad wine. It would be a wine mixed with like some yellow nacho cheese. So I don't think I can trust. I mean, I can't trust myself with white shoes, let alone a white freaking Jersey. But the one thing I wish they would have done and, and, and like you said, I like the uh, shorts as well, but I know they used the the C on the shorts for the wine and white jerseys. I wish for the white ones they would have used something incorporating the hoop V again on the side of the on the side of the shorts. But then again, I get that they wanted to have they probably wanted to have the same thing on their white and wine jersey. So I guess that makes sense. And then the black jersey. Uh, like you said, I think it will look a lot better on the players. I don't mind it. That that C in the middle is a big C. The one question I have, and I know other people brought up, I'm surprised that they use the number 35. I know someone said, oh, well, that's Kevin Durant's future number. But Isaac Okoro, you're really going to choose your Isaac Okoro's number over Evan Mobley? Because you have Darius Garland in the white, Jared Allen in wine. I'm, it's something little. But I just figured, I just thought it was interesting that they used 35 but yeah like you said very simple i know a lot of people are mad that they don't have any trim on them i don't mind it it's just when the Cavs are winning 50 games this year knock on wood no one's gonna care what they're wearing on the freaking court as long as it's a jersey that says cleveland or Cavs, it could be the ugliest jersey in the world who cares if they're winning basketball games right but yeah i like it daniel arsham the the guy the artist that created this the designer well done. I personally think they hit it out of the park. I know they're super simple jerseys, but that hoop V in that white jersey, man, I like you said, I hope they wear them at least every home game. Well, I guess not every home game, but the majority of home games, maybe some away games, maybe in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know. I'm just streaming out here. But yeah, the jerseys, you said 8 out of 10. I'd give it an 8 out of 10 as well. You couldn't really do much better than that. And I know Tom Valentino mentioned it. He is one. Uh, he talks on a podcast here. He has a podcast, the nail, the nail in the coffin podcast on the waiting for next year. Um, community podcast network. He said that 
uh, graphic designers making their own jersey templates kind of ruins like the jersey appeal because like you see some of those templates and you're like, I really like that one. And then if the jerseys come out and they're not like that one that you saw, it ruins it for you. So I kind of agree with that too. If there was no such thing as like jersey templates from graphic designers or just people on Twitter, I think a lot more people would have liked these jerseys than previously. It's funny you mentioned Eastern Conference Finals. So that's exactly what Darius Garland said on the Varsity House podcast I listened to this morning. Uh, Varsity House podcast by Sean Crawford. Darius Garland never does really interviews, doesn't really do podcasts. He was on this morning and said his goal is for the team to make the Eastern Conference Finals this upcoming year. So I had to just tie that in real quick. Uh, and last, last piece from me on, on the jerseys, the one thing that I saw – so. Yeah, I love the jerseys. I'm excited to rock some stuff. I like the hats. I think I'm a little more eager to buy now with with the V and, and the swish. The one thing I saw that I think was a pretty good critique that I, I kind of agreed with was on the white jersey. So white is, again, by far my favorite. The Cliffs logo, so who, who has sponsorship deal now with, uh, with the Cavs and Rocket Mortgage, I did see an interesting thought, and I kind of liked it. So the Cliffs logo is gold on, on the, the wine and the black, but on the white jersey, it's actually the Cliffs actual logo, which I think is like a combo of green and blue. And I saw a mock-up if that Cliffs logo was gold on white, and I thought it just looked absolutely clean. So I'm nitpicking, but I thought that was one possible improvement I thought looked kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know like what goes into sponsorships, obviously, but I saw I think I saw somewhere that there was no reason for Cliffs to change that logo color because it's a white jersey. I don't like I said, I don't really know what goes into sponsorships and the millions of dollars that Cliffs is giving the Cavs and whatever. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Adding more gold to that jersey would be perfect because it needs more gold. You can never be what what was the when they brought out the rebrand, what was it like the Gold is gold. Or, no, that's orange is orange for the Browns. I forget what it was, but it was something about gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can never have too much gold in those jerseys. And and that's just like I guess that's like the overall point to me is the, the gold just looks so much better than the, like that nacho cheese yellow that they had. Like the gold just looks so much better. It, it just overall like they, they could have they didn't, but they could have honestly made the jerseys like as good, even a little bit worse. And I would have liked them more just because of, you know, that major color change with the gold. So the fact that they made the jerseys, what I think better, plus made a great, you know, change out with, with that nice gold color now. Yeah. Awesome job by the Cavs. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, anything would have probably been better than the previous jerseys, but the fact that they, not maybe they didn't hit this, maybe it wasn't a grand slam, but I'd call it a 450 foot home run two run homer because i like i said i mean i know a lot of not a lot of people there's more people that like them than don't like them but yeah they i in it's one thing like to look at them in pictures i think they're gonna look a lot better on the court and on players too so like for the for those of you that do not like them just wait until the season maybe the preseason that they wear them i don't know what they wear their jersey i'm assuming they won't wear those jerseys in preseason but who knows but yeah i like them i think they hit it out of the park well done, Cavs, all around. Uh, especially with that, like, I know um, that jersey reveal, like, people try to, like, use different color backgrounds to figure it out. It was just, it was a cool lead up to a jersey thing, and they actually did it right. It wasn't, like, a huge lead up and then a huge letdown. So I'm fine with that. Yeah, very strategic. Just a couple of tweets over the weekend of, like, Miles Garrett's reaction, uh, Garland's reaction, Mobley smiling, and Allen. It, it was pretty cool. 
all in all, yeah, you know. Mobley smiling says a lot, by the way. Mobley <laughs> can like go for 30, 10, and 10, and his face would be like the straightest face ever. So the fact that you got a little bit of a smirk is a big deal. Yep. Oh, are you talking about the rookie Mobley? Or are you, are you, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that was just like a perfect lead in to, uh, you know, who the Cavs got in the summer league transition, right? We're going to talk Isaiah Mobley first. I'm fine. I'm fine with whatever. But no, that is perfect lead in the summer league. I, you, you can lead this one. Absolutely. So I, I know you got to be a fan, I think, to watch the summer league. That's what I like about like NBA Twitter right now. And anyone that's talking Cavs right now, this time of year, is like a legit fan. If you're sitting down watching summer league, at like a couple of their games were at five o'clock Eastern, a couple of them were later at night. You got like true like warrior fans out there breaking down guys that are never going to play in the league for the most part. So I, I love talking about summer league because you got some real deal fans out there. Um, obviously, there's a number 14 pick, but just since we talked about Mobley, maybe maybe we can start on him. And Josh, I'll if it's okay, I'll kick it over to you first, just on your general reaction to how I they looked, um, and then I'd love to I'd love to uh, digest him a little bit and, and talk through it. First things first when it comes to summer league, my favorite is when a player looks really good, it could translate to the NBA, but when a player looks really bad, well, it's just summer league, right? It's like Keegan Murray, who looks really good, by the way, for the Kings. Everyone's like, oh, wow, he's a be something. But then if like uh, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, I can't even remember who, who drafted him. I forget who drafted him. But he struggled all summer league. So people are like, well, it's just summer league for Giant Davis. But for Keegan Murray, they're like, oh, man, this kid's going to be a star. That's one of my favorite things about summer league. But back to Isaiah Mobley. It's worth remembering that he is not Evan Mobley, his brother, his younger brother. He will very, very, very likely never be Evan, his younger brother. And there's a reason why he's on a two-way contract. I think – I mean, and there's a reason why he dra- he felt he didn't fall in the draft, but he went in the 40s. I mean, it is what it is. So hopefully, I think uh, Isaiah Mobley, at times, it seemed like the game was like too big for him, too fast for him. He needs to develop a three-point shot if he wants to be an NBA player. That's for sure. But but yeah, I mean, I think the, playing with a charge, it obviously, it's the G League. So I think he it will do really do really well for his development, and just we can't expect too big a things from a guy that was picked in the forties. I mean, it's as simple as that. But yeah, if he wants to be an NBA player, he has to develop a better, more consistent three point shot. It seemed like that little drop off from college three point line to NBA three point line really. There's a small sample size of this summer league. I think he only made like two or three threes out of like fifteen or so, but. I mean, like I said, it's it's a development project. There's a reason why the Cavs drafted him and then put him on a two, one of their two way, one of their two two way contracts, along with uh, RJ Nemhard, who we will also discuss here in a little bit. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I'm excited to see what he can do with the charge this season. Yeah the the whole Cavaliers draft night was really interesting. I think going into it, we thought there's no way they pick more than two guys at the most three. And they end up picking four. And I think it was really interesting. So some some analysts, you know, had Mobley like the 70th best player in the draft or, or the 80th best player. So, you know, he, w- he was kind of all over that second round to, you know, top 100 somewhere in there. And one of the I think one of the big benefits to 
to drafting him this year is going to be, you know, him accepting the role of a two-way, not all second round picks, high second round picks at that would have been gung-ho on saying, yep, I'm, I'm cool with, you know, going on a two-way, bouncing up and down between the Cleveland Charge and the Cavs. But luckily they know what kind of guy they're getting in him. And, you know, he's just like, just like Evan, soft-spoken guy. Their dad is is a coach at USC and, and just all around sounds like great guys. And he's had nothing but great things to say about the Cavs. And obviously he's been able to establish a rapport with quite a bit, quite a few of the players. And he even had a quote in a athletic article that Kelsey Russo wrote about how everyone in Cleveland just roots for each other and they're so selfless. And he think that's that's pretty cool. So just a, a good culture guy. But yeah, Josh, I 100% agree with you. I, I'll just say I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw. However, what can you expect off of a guy that you selected 40? So, yeah, I, I thought defensively he didn't have as much of an impact at times as I was really hoping for. He didn't look as big as, as you know, how I thought he might look. However, he did look good doing a little bit of playmaking. I thought he he, he looked comfortable with the ball in his hands. Uh, his shot was bad, <laughs> just to be candid. He, he, he airballed quite a few shots. It didn't look yeah. great. But he just needs reps. To your point, I, th- I think you're right on there. Just get him in the, get him with the charge, get him going. And I think like his best case scenario is he is like a, he's a decent playmaking big man, um, and just hope he he gets stronger, fills out, becomes more of a defensive presence. And and as you said, if he can, if he can become a little bit of a stretch on man, that that'd be gravy. But I think you know I'll I'll just say this: it, it's not a bad thing to draft a potential future star's brother and just the fact that they're going to be in there together. I think it was a smart move by the Cavs and it's not like this guy is, is pure charity. He's got a shot. He's just got to get a lot better, um, you know, over the next year or two. And it's pretty cool that the charge are now in Cleveland as well. If rather than can, I'm sure that means Evan and Isaiah can do a lot of work together. I mean, probably live. I'm assuming they'd probably live together. Maybe save a dime or two. Who knows? I don't know how professional athletes do that. So, but yeah, I think, just development's key. If he didn't have the last name Mobley, I think expectations would be a lot lower on him. So just always remember that his last name really doesn't matter besides the fact that he's Evan's brother. But yeah, I'm surprised you talked about Isaiah Mobley first, but I am completely down to move on to the number 14 pick, Ochai Agbaji, who, man, I mean, he turned some heads this summer and during summer league. Like I said, it's always important Grain of salt, it's summer league, but it wasn't about the things that, like that his points. It was about the way he, that he got his points. I guess I know I tweeted out a few video clips and purposely, like had like the pre-shot movements and stuff. The way he moves off balls, but has me very, very, very excited for what he he can bring in the Cavs this season and beyond. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. The the difficulty of shots that he took they were not easy. I mean, everyone was kind of keen in on him and everyone knows when you're playing the Cavs in summer league, they're the goal, probably goal. Number one, goal. Number one is don't get hurt. No one get hurt. Goal. Number two is we want to put a in spots to show what he can do. And man, he was, he was shooting off the run. He, he was creating a little bit. It, it was really exciting. And to your point, the way that he scored, you can envision how he would score with with better players around him, with Darius Garland setting him up, with Karis LeVert driving in addition to him in the corner, with Evan Mobley, you know, finding him. I think it was really encouraging. And if you listen to us a few weeks ago, I wasn't sure what I thought about the pick at that point based off of some guys that were still on the floor. 
Um, not to say that summer league completely changes minds, but the way that he scored, you can now envision him scoring in the NBA with better players, getting him in better spots. Cause he was doing it in a pretty difficult way in summer league. He was going off the dribble and, you know, moving from like left to right and shooting. It was, it was encouraging. So, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he did. And if he can be a, an actual rotation type player this year, I mean, the, the options the Cavs have with, um, you know, with two through four spots, really interesting. So absolutely encouraged. And man, that was, that was some good ball that he played in summer league. Yeah. And like, yeah, like you said, whether it's like down screens or just coming off a screen or just his movement off the ball. I mean, even when he's say he's a, he shot, I think 38% from three during summer league, but even if he's not making shots, that movement off the ball, distracts the defense even if it's just one player on the defense enough for open up the floor for evan mobley jared allen kevin love darius garland karis lavert i mean the list goes on it's just like the way that he was scoring i'm excited about it because even if he's not scoring or even if he's having an off night when when he is on the court that'll distract the defense enough to help out the other four players on the court if that makes sense so yeah that's why i'm super excited about oj his I don't want I know it's just summer league I don't want to get too excited but it's just the way that he went about his off ball movement and to get open and get shots and to get threes and that smooth stroke I can't wait to see what he does in a real NBA game when he has Darius Garland and Kevin Love and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro and all those guys as teammates rather than guys that will play in Australia or be in the G League or possibly be in the NBA and I guess, I mean, are we done talking Ochai? Because I just talked about Australia. We have to talk about this guy, right? Isaiah Mobley, Ochai. It seemed like the biggest topic besides Ochai during the Cavs Summer League was Luke Travers, the mullet. I can't wait. If he ever makes the Cavs team, I cannot wait to see the shirts that are created for this man. But Luke Travers, man, he was the Cavs last pick i forget what number it was like 56 maybe? he was late 56 i think you're right there yep but i know he went he's already confirmed to go back to australia he was more of a uh draft and stash player but man i mean he still needs to develop a shot still needs to develop some of his offense game but i think the first and summer league game he had like five or six blacks and plus the mullet i mean he can have zeros he can have zeros across the board i can watch that mullet play all day yeah, he's he's going back to I think they're called the Perth Wildcats in the NBL. Um, but man, he he was impressive. Like he he's a big kid, um, and just his feel for the game. I mean, he stuck out to me right away. I think yeah, the first game he was a monster defensively. Oh, I, I appreciate Derpy Gaming telling us. I told you all, Ochai was the pick. So that was that's Derpy uh, going for a victory lap right there. Uh, back to Lou Travers though, the guy who got look comparisons to. The one guy in Stranger Things, season three, the one scary guy in Stranger Things, as well as a little bit of Larry Bird in there too. So, but man, I was I was thoroughly impressed with he was just in command. He's not fast, he's not physical, he can't really shoot yet, but he's he was like a very, 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 very poor man's like kind of what we needed last year in terms of a point forward, a, a guy who makes the right decisions, who can play, make a little bit, his, his feel for the game was just incredible. So he's a long ways away. He, you know, he's going to be overseas for at least one year, if not many more, if he can develop a shot though, 
Um, he had that kind of feel where he just he threw some incredible passes, and it's it's something that not a lot of big guys can do. So I can't wait to like I'm. This is the first time I'm going to be watching some MBL highlights just to see Luke Travers. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Seth's YouTube uh, searches during MBL season will be Luke Travers game highlights. Luke Travers game highlights. The algorithms are going to be all messed up. That's all right. <laughs> Speaking of, that could be a good way to make some money, though, if you somehow find uh, MBL stream and just turn it into Luke Travers highlights on YouTube. Although that probably wouldn't be enough to monetize it. But yeah, Luke Travers. I mean, who would have ever thought that he'd be one of the three guys you talk about on the Cavs during the summer league? But actually, I forgot one more. We talked about Isaiah Mobley, Ochai, Luke Travers somehow. The other two-way contracts. The Cavs have two two-way contracts this year, just like every other NBA team. RJ Nemhard. I know some people were disappointed that they used one of their two-way contracts on RJ Nemhard, but then I know I saw a report, I think recently, that they think that he can possibly develop into like a 3 and D win. I don't know. Who knows? But what were your thoughts on him during summer league? Yeah, I like this guy. I know he's he – Right now, that type of player the Cavs have a lot of um, with with Karis LeVert and Colin. Obviously, he's not on their level by any means. I'm, I'm just saying there's not a clear path for him, I don't think, playing significant minutes this year. However, I like this guy. <laughs> he's he's like that combo score. He's He's got good size. He's like 6'3", 6'4". He didn't have any problem scoring. Uh, I'll tell you that much in summer league. And he's been he played with the, the G League, the charge last year. Um, that's another guy. I mean, I, I know we're talking kind of, you know, 16, 15th man at this point, 15th man bouncing around, but RJ Nemhard's a guy who I, I would love to see if, if he could increase his playmaking, you know, maybe, maybe he's the kind of guy that, that could be that backup point guard. Uh, we haven't talked about a few of the offseason acquisitions yet, but a couple of those guys or one in particular is a one year rental. So I love Nemhard. I love watching him with the charge and he's a guy I definitely have, have eyes on because he can score. If he can just increase that playmaking a little bit, man, I, th- I think he's a pretty interesting guy to watch. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean the charge being in Cleveland too. I know it's at the Wolfson center and um, they don't get that big of a crowd. I don't think that could be some interesting basketball. If you want to go there, if the Cavs are away or an offner or something, go watch Isaiah Mobley, RJ Nemhard, and those guys ball downtown Cleveland. But enough summer league. I know these free agents, it seems like free agency was in a, like a dull period with NBA draft and stuff, but we have not been on here to discuss the Cavs free agent signings. So they signed I by this guy will be a fan favorite, and I'm not talking Ricky Rubio. This guy will be a fan favorite. He's easy to love. Everyone in Cleveland, I think, will love him besides Moondog because he hates on mascots. Robin Lopez, I absolutely love that signing as a backup center. Yeah, he's a guy who who kind of beat up the Cavs a little bit last year. He he played pretty well against them. He was, he was a force and out-rebounded um, a couple of the Cavs bigs at, at the time, but I, I think I, I heard uh, I heard someone mention one of my buddies mentioned this too, and I think it hit on true. You know, the the Cavs have a lot of different guys, two through four shooting guard, small forward, power forward. They have a lot of guys that they can kind of plug and play and make a make a lineup work. Backup point guard and backup center is where they really got beat on last year, uh, and they just frankly didn't have adequate play once some injury injuries started to occur. And so, you know, Robin Lopez being that big guy who can you know really, really back up Allen. So you don't have to play Mobley as many minutes at 
backup center if they're going against a more physical guy. So, yeah, I, I love it. It's a one-year vet men, and it's got to be good for the locker room. He, he's known to be a, a hell of a teammate. So I, I completely agree with you. Vet men, Robin Lopez, he's going to be great. And he, he might eat some minutes. Like I, I think in with bigger bigger center matchups, they they don't want to put Mobley uh, against some of those guys. So I, I love it. Perfect fit. Yeah, and like you said, great for the locker room. He's gonna be a fan favorite. At any NBA players and his teammates seem to love him. And another thing is that he's the type of player where say he'll go out and play 30 minutes. Hopefully this doesn't happen. Say he goes out and plays 30 minutes one night, whether it's giving Jared Allen a day or a uh, game off or Jared Allen, knock on wood, suffers in a uh, short-term injury, or just Jared Allen's in foul trouble, something like that. Robin Lopez, Robin Lopez will be one of those players that will go out and give you 25, 30 minutes in one game, and the next night be perfectly fine with not playing a single second. So I, like I said, I mean, I know it's an underrated signing just because it's a backup center, but Robin Lopez, I right when I saw that the Cavs signed him, I was like, heck yeah, Kobe, great move. And then on to the next one, who is another fan favorite who the Cavs had last year, Ricky Rubio. The Cavs had him. He tore his ACL, so they sent him to Indiana in the Karis LeVert trade. He will not be ready to play. My, I know a lot of reports are saying probably December, and that's when he can start ramping up, so he probably won't be on an NBA court representing the Cavs until mid-January. It's one of those things where, like, Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio, that was the best two-man lineup analytically for the Cavs last season. But not having him until January, man, that is that is tough when you think that the season starts, what, right around Halloween, so October, late October? You're without him for a solid two and a half months to start the year. I like it, but it's interesting just because, and I know we'll, we have to talk about Ricky Rubio before we lead on to the next guy. But in order to sign Ricky Rubio, you had to add a third point guard because Ricky Rubio won't be ready the first two and a half months of the season. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Yeah, Rubio averaged the highest points per game of his entire career last year, 13.1, um, almost seven assists per game. He was great defensively. That That's one thing. I don't know if Rubio gets enough credit for his defense. I mean, he plays those passing lanes so well. Um. It, uh, obviously, unfortunately, till his till his ACL tear, and I've when I, when I first heard about it, I was really excited, and then you kind of get grounded in reality in the fact that okay, this is a guy on the wrong side side of thirty. He just hurt, tore his same ACL that he did years ago. Um, he's going to come back midway through the season. You know, what's it going to look like? So you're talking, you're going to get some percentage of him back next year at some point. Is he going to be 100 percent at all next season? It might take him till the whole, you know, 23, 24 season to get all the way back. And then he's obviously another year older. So I love Rubio. I love what he did. Um, allowing Garland to play off ball with how, how good of a teammate Rubio was, was special last year. I just don't know exactly what the Cavs are going to get from him. So that that's my only point. It's not a ton of money. 
Um, it's just more of, you know, is he going to be right when the Cavs need him in crunch time uh, for next season? And I don't know if, if we know that's, you know, we, we, Josh and I have heard the expectations for when he's going to come back, but we don't know. So uh, I love watching play. So excited about that. Just hope we can, you know, hopefully heals. Hope he's all right. And it'll be nice to see him go out there and, and take a little bit of burden off of Garland next season. Yeah, and I know the analytics loved him, especially playing alongside Darius Garland. He didn't surprisingly he didn't really shoot that well though. I think he was only like thirty five percent from the field, thirty percent from three. I don't know without looking it up. I think it was somewhere around that. So imagine if he possibly gets those percentages up a little bit. I the the only thing I question is that, like you said, he's probably won't be one hundred percent all season. He won't be playing until mid-January, and then it'll be like, well, this is his training camp, so he technically won't probably be playing playing until February. And it's one of those things where I love the signing, especially because his teammates obviously love him. He was a huge – he played a huge role in Darius Garland's leap last season. He'll be more of like a player coach while he's not playing, but it's just the fact that they – the Cavs had to spend another roster spot on a backup point guard because they signed Rubio. Which leads us to our next guy, Hal Meto, who I nice have- job on the pronunciation, really quick. I've heard so many people butcher that, and it drives me nuts. So very good I, job, Josh. Nice job. Do people pronounce it Raul? I, I've heard Raul and like Raul, and it's it's been brutal. So a plus job out of you, man. <laughs> sincerely. Hey, good job. Hey, I try. I try sometimes. But Hal Meto, I love the signing as a third backup point guard, or I guess as a second back. You know what I mean? As a third point guard. Um, and the Cavs were putting. I mean, the Cavs put themselves in a tough spot. Without Ricky Rubio, you had to have a legitimate backup point guard behind Darius Garland. We all saw what happened when the Cavs didn't have a legitimate backup point guard at the end of last season. It put way too much on Darius Garland's plate. But Neto answers that, and he's also the type of player where once Rubio comes back. And his minutes drop from what, like 20-ish, maybe 15, 20-ish, uh, zero to five. I think he's going to be fine with that. It's a one-year contract. And I think he's doesn't have any like great numbers, but he's the type of player that, let's just say, I wish the Cats had him last year at the end of the last season. Over, um, and wow, I can't even think of his name right now. Who is the Cats backup? Or, uh, Brandon Goodwin. Brandon, I was thinking Brandon yeah. Simmons. I was like, no, it's not Brandon Simmons. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not hating on Brandon Goodwin, but I'd take Neto over him any day. It's just one of those things where it eats up another roster spot. Do you have anything to say about Neto? Yeah, just an aggregate. You, you know, the Cavs essentially are replacing Brandon Goodwin, Ed Davis, and Moses Brown with Robin Lopez and Howell Neto, which is a huge, you know, our two additions veterans you know the Cavs needed to get a little bit older and that's what they did this offseason older but not in a bad way I don't say older in a bad way um yeah just real quick on how old he's he's a guy who he's not gonna jack up a bunch of unwarranted shots he's an efficient point guard he's not explosive but he's gonna get you into the right stuff I think he's gonna be able to get the right guys the ball I mean when you have Evan Mobley Jared Allen I think he's gonna be able to get guys into the right stuff and he's efficient I think last year yeah, when he started last year, he shot over 40% from three. So he's also a guy – he didn't have a great shooting year last year, but he had kind of a weird role. Um, I think he's going to have a very consistent role early on in the season, or at least I'd expect he will. And it, it wouldn't be a shocker at all if he, if he can put together a nice 38 40% three-point 
performance while while he's playing significant minutes behind Garland. And and yeah, this this one kind of I guess I'll call it low key was maybe my favorite signing of all three because we we know we're not going to have Rubio for a few months and who knows what he's going to look like when you know when he ramps up as you said. Uh, Robin Lopez, not sure how much he's going to play off the jump, but Howell is going to have significant minutes. And yeah, I think it was just a perfect signing again, one year vet men, you know, let's see what, what they can do and roll from there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And yeah, and the way you put it, I mean, Ed Davis, he was the veteran locker room presence. He played very sparingly, but the fact that you, you, you replaced Ed Davis with, Robin Lopez, who is also a great locker room guy, and I fan the cat. Like I said, the Cavs fans are going to love him. And then you replace Brandon Goodwin with Neto. I mean, I know we're talking about like the bottom of the roster when it comes to rotation, but when you have a young core, it's always important to have those good backups too. Because like we saw last year, when injuries come or something, hopefully the Cavs got knock on wood. Hopefully the Cavs got rid of their bad injury luck last season, and they'll be good to go this year. But you need those. You need those guys at the bottom of the rotation. Those bottom of the rotation guys, the bottom of the roster guys. Because if you don't have them, Darius Garland's going to have to go out and play forty plus minutes a night, which no one wants. So yeah, I I love the three signings. I think if I was questionable questionable about one, I'd be questionable about Ricky Rubio because he takes up a roster spot. But then again, his teammates love him. He played a huge role in Darius Garland's leap. He'll be a player coach when he's not on the court, I guess. And speaking of roster spots, that brings us to Colin Sexton. With and by the way, you have gone all black. I can barely see you. For those of you watching live, I the, oh, there we go. I don't know what's going on over here. No, no, you're good. You're good. But so the Cavs signed Neto, Rubio, Robin Lopez with Ochai as their draft, their first round draft pick, and with two two way contracts. The Cavs are currently at 15 guaranteed contracts. That does not count the most talked about guy who is not guaranteed to be a Cav next season, Colin Sexton. I'd assume that if things work out and he's back, well, I was I can't even assume. They have to get rid of someone, whether it's a trade or a release or something. But I know Colin Sexton, it's I mean, he's somehow the most one of the most talked besides like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and those guys. He's one of the most talked about guys around the NBA circles this offseason. I know Chris Fedor. I, I think I posted the clip a couple weeks ago. He's on with nine two three the fan. He's done stories about it. Cleveland.com. Fedor is reporting that Rich Paul and Colin Sexton. Rich Paul represents uh, Clutch Sports and Colin Sexton. They're looking for a number that starts with a two per year. So they're looking for at least $20 million per year. I'd say at least probably three years. There's, there's, so they're probably looking for at least three years, $60 million. The Cavs, on the other hand, are not going to um, not bet against them. I can't think of the word again. They're not going to – what am I thinking when, when you're – Yeah, not going to bid against themselves. Yeah, bid against – right? think So the, the Cavs aren't going to bid against themselves. Collins a restricted free agent. No one's offered him a contract or else that would have been noted because the Cavs would probably match it. So why should the Cavs offer him 20 million a year if no, they're not going to get bid against themselves? So the rumor right now is that the Cavs are offering between 12 and 15 million a year and Colin and his team want 20 million a year. So it leaves us with the qualifying offer, which I think is like 8.2 or 8.4. Some it's eight something, which 
that might be what Sexton plays on this season, which if he does play on a qualifying contract this season, that means he will be a Cavalier for eight something million, but he will become a restricted free agent next season. And for those of you unfamiliar, that just happened to Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson bet on himself, which is what Colin would do. And Jalen Brunson just signed like a four-year, $104 million deal with the New York Knicks. So what are your thoughts, one, on Colin Sexton? What, obviously, I think we all want him back. But what would you offer him, I guess, is my first question. Yeah, man, th- this situation is so complex um, because you've got so many different factors here. You've got who is the starting two guard on this team. You've got how much flexibility do you want after this season. I, I think the Cavs want flexibility after this season. And just remember, Kevin Love is in the last year of his deal. Kevin Love makes nearly $30 million this year. So that's a huge slot have going into the next offseason, going into the next season. Saying all that, even with Colin Sexton coming off an injury, um, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. I think you just bet on the player. Um, as long as Colin Sexton is going to take a certain type of role, I think he showed he was willing to do that last year. Um, at least he last year, I should say. I don't know if he is now, but he showed he was last year. Um, if Colin would be interested in a six-man type of role, he's just so good, good man. He, he is just so good. And I think with too much pressure of Darius Arnold here, Colin Sexton's three gotten better, more volume. His playmaking has got a little bit better. He's so tough. And, and that's what I, I wrote about. I mean, he's, his work, work ethic is, I mean, it's got to be top, top something in the league top 10 in the league he's just I, I just hate guy and, and he's met so much of the organization um really kind of started from the ground and i would just love to see him win here so i know a lot of fandom in there to answer your question i'd be comfortable somewhere around the 15 16 dollar range the cap is going to go up it's it's going up very soon i don't think that's an outrageous amount to pay, pay what should be one of the best six men in the league if he would accept that type of role um so i'd be willing to, to do that and lose a little, little bit of flexibility you know moving forward because i i just love the player so much um back to you josh what, what... i it's one of those things where like i i get it from both sides i get colin sexton and rich paul's side because they know the type of player that Callum can be going forward and the type of player that he has proven to be in the past prior to last season after he only played 11 games before tearing his meniscus. They want to, I mean, Rich Paul wants to get this guy paid. I completely understand that. So $20 million. Okay. I get it. But then I, I look at the Cavs and why would they give him $20 million? There's literally, like I said earlier, there's no one else bidding against the Cavs right now. If they were, they would have offered him an offer sheet and the Cavs would have to match it, just like the Suns just did with DeAndre Ayton. So, like, if you're the Cavs, why budge on your number to go up only to outbid yourself when no one else is bidding? It's almost like if you're on eBay and you really want this autograph card and the card has, like, 
let's say the card has two months left on the bidding. You're on like a month in and you're the only, it has one bid and you're it. Why would you bid any higher if you had the highest bid right now? Don't the Cavs literally have the highest bid on Colin Sexton? It's just the fact that it doesn't reach that Colin Sexton mark. So it's a tough spot. I think, like, I think I would go 18 million a year, which then again, the Cavs are literally outbidding themselves. So why would they do that? 18 million a year. And if Colin wants, wants that $20 million number, have incentives in there and have it be like, I don't know if you can do points per game. I don't know if you'd want to do points per game because then at some points he might just be all about getting that getting that money. But maybe have like a games incentive or a minutes incentive or just have different incentives in that contract to get it up to $20 million a year. So have it be a $18 million base salary and then $2 million in incentives every season. That way both both people are happy. Colin's happy because if he plays every game like he thinks he should – he'll be paid $20 million and the Cavs are happy because they still have that security blanket in case something happens. Do you, do you agree with it? Like an incentive laden um, deal like that? Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, with that, as you mentioned earlier, the Cavs have too many players right now for them to technically just sign him straight up and and have him on board. So they'd have to get rid of somebody. Um, and, And I think it, I think we mentioned it already, but the Cavs are really close to, you know, being in the, in the tax and in, in the, uh, the additional tax, I think it's around 15 million, I was, anything above that they're getting close. Right. I was so, just, saying, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I was going to interrupt you. The Cavs right now, I think it's like a little above 15 million. The for in, um, so above the tax line, that means that Dan Gilbert, which by the way, he's a second richest owner in sports, yeah. but it's not about being above the tax line and paying more tax revenue. It's starting that clock. The Cavs do not, do not, do not, do not, do not want to start that repeater tax clock. The more you're in the tax for more years, the more that costs you. So say like right now, if it's like one, if every one, if every dollar over the tax sign, it costs the Cavs like $2, three years from now, it can cost them four or $5. So they don't want to start that repeater tax. Because let's be honest, I know we're Cavs fans. We want them to win the NBA Finals every year. The Cavs aren't NBA Finals. The Cavs are not. If the Cavs make it to the NBA Finals, that would be a miracle this year. Let's be honest. So why start that repeater tax if you're not an NBA Finals contender yet, if that makes sense? So they want to push off that clock as much as possible. It's not about the millions of dollars that Dan Gilbert would have to pay. They just do not want to start that clock. But then, like you said, if they bring back Colin Sexton, that puts them at 16 players, and they're only allowed 15, so they would have to get rid of someone. I'm assuming it would either be Jetty or Dylan Dylan Windler, and they'd probably have to attach a second-round pick with that for a team to take on that contract, but that would also free up like 7 to $8 million. I think for Jetty, it would be like 75 to $8 million. For Dylan Windler, it would be like 4 or $5 million, yep. which would also mean that Colin Sexton would sign, could sign for more. So it's just all... It's going to be interesting to see. I'm. It's looking like right now Colin Sexton is going to take the qualifying offer, but if he actually resigns, it'll be interesting to see what the number is. If he resigns for long, like a two, three, four million or four year deal rather than rather than just a qualifying offer, and also just how much he signs for. I'm really interested to see if he doesn't take the QO, how much he signs for per year. Yeah, just to complicate things even more, I mean, it was reported Darius Garland and Colin Sexton went on vacation together. You know, they're buds, and so it's one of those things where, okay, 
probably made Evan Mobley pretty happy drafting his older brother this year. Darius wants Colin back. He's been vocal about that in the past with some with some comments. He says, yeah, I, I want to play with Colin. So, man, they, they're just in a tough spot because you just said, I think the most important thing of this entire podcast is the Cavs are not winning the championship next year. I, I think everyone would agree with that. NBA odds would agree with that. They have like the 10th best odds in the East to win the, the Eastern Conference uh, finals next year. So with that, the goal, at least to me, being a fan, the goal to me is is to win a championship. Every season isn't a failure, but the goal is to win the championship. And so I think there's been a lot of talk about what's the next move. Internal growth is the next move for this Cavs team. At some point, it's going to make sense for them to strike and go big. A lot of teams right now are going big across the league, trading four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert, trading a bunch of first-round picks and pick swaps for DeJounte Murray. You, you know, there's so many examples right now. We could talk it, about that Gobert deal for hours, I feel like. Yeah, oh yes, we could. Gosh. But continue. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, we could. No. Um, but, but, yeah, it just feels like the Cavs aren't yet at that point. So would having an asset, would having Colin Sexton play on the qualifying offer and just having his money clear next year, does that put him in a better position to kind of go big splash next off season? Or does signing Colin, if he would agree to it to like a 15, $16 million deal for three years, you know, I don't know how, how other teams would look at that. Is he not an asset at that point? Would you have to attach stuff with him? I'm just, just thinking of scenarios, but I think of, you know, the reason I'm, I'm talking through this is I think at some point in the next year or two, the Cavs have to kind of push and go all in as long as their internal guys continue to get better and better, they're going to need to make that big move. Um, and so it's, I think it's some of what complicates this Sexton situation is how does that impact their, their all in move? So I don't even know what point or what thought I'm trying to make here, Josh, other than there's just so many layers to this Colin Sexton deal, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> so to John St. Murray, I, have we talked about this? I think we have, but, yeah, we definitely have. I remember discussing it. DeJounte Murray, he is a, probably going to be a great fit for the Hawks. The Hawks better hope that he is a great fit for the Hawks because they give up, what, three first-round picks for a guy that's been an all-star once, and it was because he was an all-star replacement. But just the fact – Rudy Gobert, by the way, four – no. Yeah, four first-round picks, the two, 2022 NBA draft first-round picks, so basically five first-round picks plus three players – or two players that is bonkers to me there's a reason why the new york knicks might have to trade at least five first round picks for donovan mitchell i mean i feel like mma draft picks are super undervalued right now and it's really really strange i don't know why but it's like the Cavs. it would have been nice that they could have gotten to john Dejante murray i know that was a pipe dream for some of us actually no a pipe dream for seth is devon donovan mitchell but <laughs> it's the the Cavs are in a tough spot right now because due to the stepping rule, if they were to trade, I think three or four first round picks, they wouldn't have a first round pick until 2031. If you're going to trade. Wow. Basically all of your first round picks until no, my bad. They would have a first round pick before then, but they wouldn't be able to trade any first round picks until 2031. Yep. There you go. Yep. If you're going to trade, your first round picks so you literally don't cannot trade a first round pick for eight years you better hope that guy puts you over the hill and DeJounte Murray isn't I mean the Cats could have gotten DeJounte Murray that would have filled the two hole they'd still need a freaking three and D win 
So why would you trade that many first round picks for a guy that literally doesn't fill your biggest weakness right now? Rudy Gobert's another question, but I don't even know where. See, you just said that too. I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, put it, put in all your chips in the basket. That, that, that big swing, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Cavs, I mean, Brandon Ingram was also a pipe dream, but the New Orleans Pelicans are looking like the real deals. There's no shot that they trade Ingram. It's just like if the Cavs are going to put all their chips in the basket, it has to be for a three. That literally the Cavs' biggest weakness, it has to fill that. I don't know who's out there right now that would fill that, honestly, in the NBA. That's like trade worthy. Donovan Mitchell, yes, that would have been another two guard. But even if you get Donovan Mitchell or Tijante, you still don't have a three that has proven himself. And that's what we hope, we hope, me, Seth, Cavs fans, the Cavs, Cavs players, everyone in Cleveland, that Isaac Okoro, Ochai, or Karras prove this year that they can be that three guy. Even if it's like a, a lower, I know some, some guys say that they're those are all two guards. But they can just fill that three hole. I mean, that's what's going to be interesting. And we can talk about this in another podcast because we're going to need plenty of topics this offseason. But just like there's so many different storylines going into the season. Obviously, Evan Mobley, the big three of Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, you need them to carry the team. That's obvious. You also need them to develop. They're still super young. But like you need Isaac Okoro, Ochai, or Karras to develop or progress enough to prove that they belong, if that makes sense. If you can find like a fourth piece in your young core that already consists of three, if you can find a fourth prior to next offseason and then just like go from there, that would be huge. I, there's just like so many rather or other than just like winning games, there's so many different storylines this just all season. It's gonna that's what I know it's only what uh mid july 20th man i'm like stuttering right now but there's so many like i'm just so excited for this cast season just because there's so many different ways it can go and there's so many different things that you can focus on if that makes sense yeah th- this season i think is going to be harder for some fans than they realize and ha- when i say harder i mean this year is still a huge evaluation year last year was an evaluation year like are these guys any good? Are the young guys any good? Well, we checked the box there. Three of the young guys are really, really near your core. This year is an evaluation of who who else are they going to take along on this ride? You know, who's that fourth, fifth, sixth guy? And it, it sounds weird to say it's an evaluation year because they were in the top two or three seeds for the majority of the season last year. Like they had had tremendous success, but and I don't, I don't want to like scare any fans off, but I will say, I, I think it's another evaluation period. And I think the Cavs are going to learn a whole lot next year as long knock on wood. If the key guys stay healthy, it's going to be another evaluation period to figure out, is it the right time to take that big swing, that big consolidation move? Do they need to trade some of those future first round picks and these good young players, but maybe not good enough to go to go after somebody who may not be happy in their situation? So, you, you know, they're in the front office, their job to go figure that out. But man, you, you said it. Laurie Marketing, Karis LeVert, Ochai Abaji. Colin Sexton, if he is re-signed, it's, it's just such a big year for those guys. Um, obviously, the core three Caps fans know what we have. 
it's really going to be all about those other guys and who who's going to stick around with that trio to make a push at this thing over the next couple of years. Yeah, and I know th- Carter Rodriguez and Justin Rowan on the chase down discussed it too. There's a good chance that even at full strength for the majority of the season, the Cavs might not win as many games as they did last season, but the Cavs fans could be happier than they were at the end of last season, if that makes sense. One, the East is freaking good. Atlanta got better. If KD and Kyrie stay in Brooklyn, I mean, it'd be, I know we can discuss Vegas win totals, but if you go by win totals, the Cavs are tied for seventh in the East with the Chicago Bulls, so which would make them a play-in candidate again. But it's just like the East is stacked, so the Cavs, it's almost like the SEC. I know I said this to Seth prior to this podcast. It's almost like the SEC in football every year where, like, they have some really good teams, but, like, the middle tier just beat up on each other. And, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, a team like Chicago, if Lonzo Ball somehow, who is still recovering from his torn meniscus, or it just, like, the that middle tier of teams in the East is just a beat up on each other all year. And you just hope that one, the Cavs win more games than they lose, and two, in those dogfights, they stay healthy or stay healthy for the most part. Because, I mean, not only do you have like the top of the East, which is like the Milwaukee's, Miami's, Brooklyn, Philly. I'm leaving out one. Toronto. I'm leaving yeah. out one more, and I can't think. Oh, Boston. Duh, Boston, who's yeah. projected to win uh, the most the most games in the regular season in the entire NBA. Like, not only do you have those top teams, but then, like, the Detroit Pistons are going to be much better than they have been previously. And just, like, the like Orlando might still be not that good. And, like, and, but they have Paulo, the number one pick. It's just, like, on a nightly basis, there's going to be no easy wins. I mean, I guess it's professional sports, so I guess you can always say that. But just the East is so good that – it's going to be hard for the Cavs to have as much early success, even that full strength as they did last season. And just one, be prepared for that. And two, don't just look at record because it this season, yes, the Cavs want to make the playoffs. I hope they make the playoffs this year because they need to in order to help progress and develop and be in a playoff series. But like, it's so much more important than that. And like Seth said, it comes down to like not only other players besides the big three finding their identity, but also J.B. Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman being able to be like, that's one of our guys going forward. Besides the big three, I couldn't tell you another player that's like, that's one of our guys going forward. And you need at least one or two more of those heading into the next, next season, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're spot on. The uh, I, I won't take us too far off this sidetrack because I know we're coming up on an hour, but just really quick on, on the – draft pick and one reason why I'm excited about Abaji and then one reason why I was hoping someone else would fall to them. So Abaji really can potentially, if, if he can earn some rotational minutes, open up just a, a beautiful spacing lineup. If you think about Darius Garland, Abaji at the two, Laurie at the three, Mobley four out five, or, you know, of course you could, you could throw love in there if you really wanted a space, but just what Abaji can potentially do at the two, and just give spacing to Garland and, and Allen and Mobley's, um, you know, pick and roll game could be awesome. However, I will say the the reason why I wrote about and, and we talked about Usman Jang 
a little bit during the draft is, man, if you if this team decides they need to go out and take a swing for that that big playmaking three type guy, it's so much better from a resource asset perspective to draft that guy and have him making one or two million dollars a year on his rookie deal than it is to pay the price right now, which is just seems to be like six first round picks and like two pick swaps. Uh, so that that's one thing I had to mention just while we talked a little bit of draft on this one is, man, there was, there was one guy in this draft, Usman Jang, who I was really looking forward to because it's so rare to get that guy. And if you trade a team for that type of guy, that three and D guy who, I mean, that's, that's what everyone's looking for right now. It's just an absolute King's ransom, but it is what it is. We're moving on and very excited to see what Abaji can do at the two and the three this year. Um, give them that spacing that really no one could give them outside of Laurie, who's also seven feet and not extremely quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like I, I know we talked about this earlier, but just Ochai, what he showed in summer league, just like his off-ball movement and stuff, I'm really excited to see how he plays in the NBA game when he has Darius. Gar- I mean, even in the lineup with like Darius, Evan Mobley, Lowry, and Jared Allen, and I'm missing one. Who am I missing? And even say Isaac Okoro or something. I mean, just I'm excited to see how he looks with NBA guys, is I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Just I know people said that he was old, he was a four-year guy at Kansas. But then again, I mean Bill Self, he played under Bill Self for four years. He knows how to win. He was a national championship or national champion this past April and was the final four most uh value. I forget what they call it. Final four, most it's not the final four, MVP, whatever most, it was. Like, most outstanding, right? I think that's most out, it. yes, MOP, yes, yes, yes. But yeah, just he knows. I know this is cliche, but he knows how to win, he knows how to make, make winning plays. I'm just he's one of the players early on that I'm really excited to watch and just see how he meshes. I hope JB allows him to play with the start. I'm not saying that he should be in the starting lineup. I am not saying that whatsoever. I just hope that JB allows him to play with the starting lineup guys, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Darius, at least allow him to play with Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, and then just throw. I mean, even if it's Lowry, I mean, imagine the space in that lineup. If it's Lowry and Ochai out there, and you have Ochai moving off the ball and three seven-footers in there, I, I know we can I can. I feel like I can discuss Ochai for hours and hours, but I'm just very excited about that rookie. And what were we even? What were we talking about? Oh, the East, and just like trying to figure out. Not only the Cavs, I guess, have an identity. It's like Tower City, three seven footers, and just I mean they're young, but they just need to figure out more. JB definitely needs to. One, he needs to figure out. Hopefully, in a playoff series, to make adjustments and stuff like that. And two, just figure out his guys. I mean, besides his big three, he doesn't know who his guys are going to be. And that's why that is the most important thing about this season. And everything else is just a bonus. And hopefully that bonus includes the NBA playoffs. Yep. This is Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio versus the World, an American history podcast. On Ohio versus the World, we'll travel back in time with the authors, historians, and even witnesses to visit the most exciting, consequential, and too often overlooked topics that have shaped America's history. There seems to be an Ohio connection to so many important moments. When you said uh, Ohio versus the world, we did some damage. So join us and we'll take a deep dive to enlighten, educate, and entertain you as Ohio versus the world makes history fun again.
And you said it already. We, we're going to talk at nauseum throughout training camp about lineups. But, man, w- one thing that I'm very excited about is just competition. Like, I think the last two years, Okoro was kind of handed that starting shooting guard role. And nothing against Okoro. You and I like him. We, we've talked about him. He's young. He, he's Okoro is younger than a certain number of rookies that were just drafted. This kid is still so young. Um, but he's not handed the starting shooting guard role because there's no one else. You know, now there's Karis LeVert. There's Isaac Okoro. There's Abaji. So that that's one thing that I'm excited about to see. And, again, we're going to talk about it. It's just, you know, it's, Cream's going to rise to the top. They've got all summer going into the fall to evaluate these guys and put out the best five. And um, can't wait to see how JB deploys. But, man, there's there's some real deal competition without Colin Sexton even joining the fold. So uh, that's that's one thing that I think should give Cavs fans some some hope and some promises. There's going to be a whole lot of competition this summer and fall, which, I mean, that's, that's what should be happening right now with a young team. So can't wait to watch that unfold. I completely agree. Yeah, I'm – like I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to the season just because one, it offers so much. Last season offered so much promise, but I just I'm looking forward to seeing some of these kids. I yeah, they are Darius Garland still. Well, he's I guess he's not a kid, but just looking forward to some of these young guys, how they play with expectations on their shoulders after the last season. Now that they're gonna have expectations, and I really want to. I I hope the Cavs make the playoff. I know this is in next April, so this is far off. I just want to. Hope the Cavs win enough games this year to one prove that they belong, and two just to be in a playoff series because I just want to see how the team reacts to being in a seven game series. I mean, it's a huge difference between regular season and a playoff series. We all know that. So, just I guess I'm just really looking forward to the season. I know it's still far off. It seems like although this this year is flying by, so I'm sure late October is going to be here before we know it, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say. Do you have any final thoughts, I guess? Uh, just to be, you know, typical podcasty guy, A minus offseason. Jerseys are sweet. I love the free agent signs, and the draft pick looks great with Abaji. So good job, Cab. A minus for me. A minus. Wow. I, it's hard to I would say, with given. Like they didn't make a huge free agent signing, so like that would be like A plus. I'd say like B plus A minus for what I mean, they didn't really have much there. They had the middle level exception who they used on Rubio, and then they had the vet minimums. So I guess given their ca- salary cap situation, they made I know I questioned the Rubio signing just because it costs basically two roster spots, but that is what it is. I I, I guess I'll give it an A minus too. And hopefully this that turns into an A minus season as well because I'm perfectly fine with the Cavs having an A minus season. That's right. That's right. And, and one last nugget. I know we're we're wrapping. One last piece, Josh. You hit on this, I think, but just to this is just kind of a heads up for Cavs fans too is that Karis LeVert deal. If the Cavs make the playoffs, so not the play in, but the playoffs. So if they make the top eight, their first round playoffs. picks playoffs. Can you win a game? Uh, their first round pick next year goes to the Indiana Pacers. And that's why what Josh brought up was so important about the Stepien rule and, and needing to have, you know, those first round picks not being able to trade them. So that's one thing to watch as the Cavs go throughout this season. It's, it's a pretty big deal if they make the playoffs or not based off of that trade. So all, all hypotheticals we can get into, but just a, a nugget that we wanted to pass along. If the Cavs don't make the playoffs this year, then it turns into two seconds the following year. So that would be two seconds and 24 
if it doesn't convey the first round pick in 23. So just a heads up. So in short, the Cavs will not have a first round pick. Next <laughs> that's for damn sure. Yep. That's it. And that's all I have, Joss. I'm just trying to drop some nuggets on the way out. I'll, no, no, I'll you're good. That's come good. Up with some better stuff on the way. Yeah, <laughs> you're good. So yeah. So hopefully for the Cavs and us and all the rest of the Cavs fans, the Cavs don't have a first round pick next year. And that, and by the way, the stepping rule, in case you guys haven't Googled it while you're listening, NBA, I forget. I think it was the Cavs. It wasn't. Ted, Ted stepping, Ted stepping, uh, Ted it wasn't yep. Cleveland. It was, so this is due to the Cavs. So they've made two rules because wasn't there a rule made about a player getting traded and bought out and then coming back to the team that he got traded from because it happened as a Junis Ogowskis. And now there's a rule about that too. So shout out to the Cavs for just forcing the NBA to create rules. But the stepping rule is that you cannot trade or you can't go back to back years without a first round pick. So if and all these deals, I mean, the deal that just sent Rudy Gobert to Minnesota, if it included a first-round pick in back-to-back years, it's because that team has other picks from other teams in that first round. It doesn't have to be your first-round pick. It just has to be a first-round pick. So the, that's why the Cavs, if they were to trade, like, say, three first-round picks or DeJounte Murray, it would have to be every other year, which means that they wouldn't be able to trade a pick until 2030 or 2031, whatever it is. So, yeah, the stepping rule is just makes it tougher to trade first-round picks, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, even though it seems like freaking teams are doing it left and right. It's like it's one of those Oprah Winfrey things. Like, you get a first-round pick, and you get a first-round pick, and you get a first-round pick. That's how uh, Utah, I think, literally has like 25 first-round picks in the next five years. That's what it seems like. Danny doing his thing i don't know how he does it but and he has so many first round picks that i can't wait for him to be like almost acquire a player and then not do it just like he did in boston yeah rinse repeat yep (laughs) but i guess that's i mean somehow no matter what we can literally discuss the Cavs jerseys and it will somehow go for for over an hour on this podcast we can't do a podcast without going an hour it's crazy by the way I don't know what else I was to say. I don't know why I just said, by the way. But I know I already asked you, but anything else you want to say, Seth? No, it was great getting back. Uh, I'm excited to kind of get in the swing of things, and, and I'm hoping that you and I will be, will be dropping kind of an emergency pod as soon as we get some Colin Sexton news. So thanks all for listening and ready to go You know, as soon as we get some additional news about Colin Sexton. Yeah, so just like we have this offseason, probably not next week, but the week after, just like every other week, although it's been a, almost four weeks just because – there hasn't really been, besides the NBA draft, which we were on here live, there hasn't really been much else besides that. And I guess two weeks of that, there might really not be much else unless Colin Sexton signs. So we will most likely be back with you, not next week, but the week after at some point. If Colin Sexton signs an extension, which I do not see happening in the next two weeks, we will most likely, it won't be like an emergency podcast, but we'll be on here probably that day or the following day to discuss Colin Sexton. Until then, thank you, Der- Derpy Gaming, Adrian Mitchell. I know you guys commented. I for- I completely forgot to put your comments up and whatever. But thank you for commenting. Thank you for listening live if you're listening live. If not, if you're listening to wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, we appreciate each and every one of you. Until then, about two weeks from now, and as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. 
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.